You are listening to the Vibrant Visionaries podcast hosted by me, Heidi Bennett. Welcome old friends and new listeners. What is Vibrant Visionaries all about? Well, this is how I describe a Vibrant Visionary. They're a creator skilled in a variety of disciplines who combine their many talents to bring the world innovative, groundbreaking, culturally impactful art and entertainment. They're curious, overflowing with a million ideas, a lifelong learner, tinkerer, and experimenter. They're compassionate, empathetic, emotionally intelligent, usually a little sensitive, and always abundantly hilarious. They understand the value of vulnerability when it comes to telling original stories and creating a compelling, thought-provoking body of work. Simply put, a vibrant visionary is my type of weirdo. These are the people I love having on the podcast and our relatively new YouTube channel. So if this all sounds good to you and maybe you even identify as a vibrant visionary, I invite you to check out all of our podcasts on vibrantvisionaries.com and pop over to the YouTube channel, Vibrant Visionaries Network, if you're interested in seeing the beautiful faces of a lot of the folks that I've been interviewing lately. I also have the Vibrant Kitchen there where I teach uh, simple recipes, really lightning fast and packed with flavor. I also share some of my vintage cookbooks and eclectic destinations, favorite gadgets, etc. So that's where you can find me. Now on with the show. Hey everybody, this is Heidi Bennett, Vibrant Visionaries podcast and YouTube channel. Well, on YouTube, we call it the Vibrant Visionaries Network because I have other stuff on here. So if you're watching here for the first time, check out the whole channel and see what I have to offer, including like making guacamole and doing taste tests of hot sauces and all sorts of crazy stuff. Because vibrant visionaries are everything, right? They're musicians and artists and filmmakers, and some of them are even people who program amazing festivals. And you've heard me interview people from Chattanooga Film Fest. And so today I have, as my vibrant visionary, Chris Dorch of Chattanooga Film Fest. Welcome, Chris. Thanks so much for having me, Heidi. A long time ago. And like, thank you so much for your support over the years. Like, yours is a voice that's always just, as I, you know, comb through the comments at the end of every year to make sure that what I'm doing is something that people actually like. Yours is a voice that's just like overwhelmingly positive and wonderful. And you've I got to see your, your interview with the filmmakers of the old ways and all the things that you've done. And I just, I, we really love your voice. It's, it's, it's one that we're very happy to have, especially because it's like with no shade to other podcasters, there's just a lot of negativity and a lot of hot takes and a lot of like people who I think at their core have forgotten what an insane, impossible process it is to get a movie made at any level. That, you know, maybe the Internet's allowed them a little more cynicism. So it's like when we meet people that are like earnest and truly kind, it means a lot to us. Like that's kind of something that surrounds our festival, I hope, palpably for even attendees. So, again, thanks. Thanks to you as well. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. And I definitely am drawn to that with you all. Your intention you know, there's programming, there's an intention, there's vibe, there's accessibility virtually and in person, which I haven't been able to do yet. But yeah, I'd love to hear right. it's so many questions, right? But one of them that I think does ring ring out is like, what what kind of like core values or intentions you put down? Because it's all so clear that you really want to highlight 
and shine the best light on the uh, the filmmakers. And uh, we were talking even just before recording about how um, when you wanna uh, put out their information that you're getting like the best photo and the best log line or whatever, you know, that you're presenting them the, the way that, that will be most complimentary. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's so much that goes into it. What What's the foundation behind? what you choose and then how you put it out there because your festival also so far for me for virtual festivals has been the easiest most fun most interactive and that's not even talking about what the movies are you know yeah to to me it's it's like uh i you know went to sundance for the first time a few years back when we very first started cff and uh the idea was like all right let's let's scout out a few different film festivals so we can see how the absolute major leaguers do it from the tiniest little ones in the tiniest little towns and like kind of compare all the notes. And the one thing I realized about Sundance, and obviously they have, you know, probably the largest budget of any film festival in the world, probably one of the largest staffs and crews of volunteers for all of that. It felt very kind of cold and clinical and not very user friendly. Like, for example, you get a badge and you're not entitled to see everything to the badge. You're given this random lottery time where you can choose tickets and hope that you get some tickets, some of the things that you want to see. And then even then with tickets, you're often waiting in these like long human hamster lines for like a long period of time. And I traveled with uh, with our lawyer and longtime friend of the festival, Scott Masiri, and Scott didn't get a badge. He got a lot of tickets from like scalpers and people that so like me as a person who had a badge to that festival there was a lot of things i wasn't able to see where people who weren't necessarily following their rules seemed to have no trouble and it just it just felt like man this is i know this is the biggest film festival in the world and certainly there's hundreds of thousands of people here but like it just it didn't have that humanity or that warmth to it and then i started to travel around to other festivals and a, a great example is one right here in my backyard it's uh the knoxville horror film festival and uh William uh, and his wife, Jessica, that run that uh, the, the small micro cinema that it's sort of based out of, which is called Central Cinema. They're such kind hearted people that they're like this week, they're doing like a benefit where they screen cats uh, and any money it brings in is so they can literally feed this gang of feral cats that they've been loving on that's lived behind the theater that like anyone who comes there knows that those cats are part of the culture of the place. So it's just like when I see the kindness and the warmth and, and the friendships that are based around are allowed to be fostered around a festival like that, it made me realize that what was important to me about creating a film festival was celebrating the films and the filmmakers, not the film business. Like I think, you know, for, for many years, these Joel Silvers and these Harvey Weinsteins and these, you know, hot shit, quick tempered producers, uh, you know, characters like like Ari on that show Entourage, who seems to be like both a caricature of like, you know, what what uh, a high powered agent would be. But there's a person that kind of does it all with lead pipe cruelty. And that's just not the side of the business that I'm interested in at all. I'm interested in the stories and the creators and often the the incredible emotions that have gone into them because mental health and, and the mental state of creators is also something that you mentioned it a few minutes yourself. Accessibility, even in the last few years, has, has come become something that I now, since the pandemic occurred, I almost view us as activists for both mental health and accessibility. And uh, after that first year in 2020 happened, where we went fully virtual, not only do we find a lot of folks like you that were our fans that 
might not have had an opportunity to travel to Chattanooga or take part in any film festival, both because of like ridiculous pricing on badges, but because of like just a lack of accessibility. And that year we started to tabulate, you know, comments and direct messages and, and, you know, even Instagram things that had come into us. And there were over 2000 comments from people saying, look, I'm financially unable. I'm disabled. I've got a family of six and kids. I'll never be able to travel to a film festival. This year I went to one or this year I attended one and no one was saying, Oh, I tuned in virtually. Everyone used the word attended. Or if they saw a talk that a special guest like Gary Sherman or Dave Lawson did, they, they used the word met. I met Gary Sherman. I talked to Dave Lawson. And I realized like, man, this, this experience, these memories we're creating, it's yeah, sure. You're not in the, the, the sacred space of the movie theater, which is, we all love movie theaters. We all got into this because we love going to the movie theaters, but like, to ignore the future and to ignore such a massive audience uh, that can't have that experience, but also love movies to me is just completely ridiculous. And so that kind of, that did cause the pivot of the last couple of years. We both were one of the last festivals to make the decision to come back to the ground because it's like, we still didn't know what the state of the world was. We weren't sure. I, I don't want to risk anyone's health for even a second. And, I really want to take the the happiness and the healthiness of my my fans and my filmmakers very seriously. So this year felt right to finally do that. But we also had that big decision to make where, all right, we're about to you know triple the amount of work that we do by having a virtual component tacked on to this three ring circus that is the on the ground proponent. But there's no way in hell that we're going to turn our back on that now. We've made too many friends and we've learned too much. And that's part of the festival. And like, I, you know, also gently, you know, try to do it without really being too mean, but like, we'll gently shade the South by Southwest of the world that seem to have decided that virtual is a bad idea now. And I don't understand why festivals are dropping it just because the pandemic has ended, because it taught us something valuable about the future of this whole medium, I think. And that was the longest answer ever. I'm so sorry. <laughs> No, please don't apologize. Don't apologize for sharing a wealth of knowledge and experience. And you got me immediately post caffeine today. So yeah, yeah. And you know, you used the word "tacked on," but of course, it hasn't been tacked on in the in the way that people usually use it. It's right. it, it was done in such a way that um, you know, for example, we talk about the Discord, the Discord element that helps it be social engagement rather than like, you know, I like to use Instagram, but to me, you know, my podcast and YouTube is the way I speak at people or share people. But as far as engagement, Discord is, is my current favorite place to go. And I got to interact with people and it was interaction with the filmmakers and with other fans and with other media folk that you had that you know the other podcasters and other uh, journalists and such and then I also had people contacting me through discord and also Instagram and everything and saying like hey you know whether I saw them speak on a panel or um, saw their movie or just to say like, you know, and that polite invitation of like, hey, I hope you get to a chance to see, you know, even my short, it's about this or it's about that. And I had great engagement even with people where I was like, dude, I did not get a chance to see your short. Or it was like certain things, if they're a bit too gory for me, I just have to say, 
I have to nope out on them or I have to be in the right. Let, let me know if you need a guide to uh, to content <laughs> this year. They're, they're like, it's definitely one of those things. I'm glad you brought that up too, because it's like, even like with content advisories, that's something that I feel like, you know, falls into in line of accessibility. And, you know, without naming any names, there are some festivals that do very edgelord things and just put them in front of the audience without the proper context. And like, I never want to traumatize anyone with anything. So this year, I think you'll see that for anything that there is, maybe perhaps a little more extremity too, we're trying to be real careful in the way that we frame it. So you'll be able to know going in if you're going to, if it's going to be a, a, you know, a knuckle, a white knuckle experience for you or not. (laughs) And thank you so much for saying that. that, that, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, you go ahead. You're going to thank me, please. No, I just appreciate you saying that, uh, uh, pointing out that the the virtual thing, I may have used the word tacked on, but for me, it's it's the virtual side of this is by no means an afterthought. It had to fill like a full version of the festival. And that's kind of this year why it's cut in half. Like the virtual component runs the whole time and there's stuff every day, but I wanted to be able to have at least half the days that we're doing this where I'm just as focused on completely the virtual side of it as I would be you know, the on the ground side of it. So it very much is, and also a way for like the folks that have been here on the ground who are maybe missing it, hopefully after those first few days to have a way for the celebration to go on just a few, few more days kind of a thing. So virtual has even expanded the number of films I'm able to show. So it's like, in addition to the accessibility, like on the ground, I'm limited to what the 20, 25 time slots I can eke out. And that's only if the movies have running times two hours or below. So it's like, by not being as locked into the rules of time and space, anyone that's complaining about that doesn't understand how many extra movies they would get to watch if they were a little more open to the experience. So I, I appreciate you you completely getting that that part of our, our vibe for sure. Let's talk about 2023, what's going on, any scoops you want to share. And um, I really look forward to being a part of it again this year. Even though I haven't gotten my official invite, I'm going to assume that I will be somebody covering the oh, festival. You're, you're on our list, but you're absolutely on Bex's list. I've, I've seen the list and your name is there. Um, but uh, yeah, one thing I can tell you is that for one thing, this is our 10th anniversary and full disclosure, I am shocked that I, anything I've ever done in my entire life has made it this far and i'm also kind of shocked because some some of the depression and things that have marked the last few years of my life that i'm still here so it's like it's really surreal right now and what's making it more surreal is both the the number of of new names we're seeing that are buying tickets the the audience the way that it's grown around us but also things like uh this past year movie maker magazine named us one of their 25 coolest film festivals in the world and Near as I can tell, my mom bribed no one at that publication. Like no one was sent like a, you know, a fruit basket or anything like that. Like so that the festival is starting to get known, despite the fact that we really don't have much of a budget. Our team is tiny. Everyone who works here is a volunteer. It's a volunteer driven kind of an outfit that we've carved out that kind of reputation for ourselves at all in 10 years is amazing to me. And I, I take that so seriously that I felt like, all right, man. If you're coming back to the ground, if this is your 10th anniversary, it's not just go big or go home. It's like, this has to be the culmination of these last 10 years. Like the world kind of fought this thing even existing. Now's our chance to celebrate the fact that we're still here. And so that's why for years and years, this, there's this venue here in town that called the Reed House. And 
the Reed House is like kind of a, a local legend for Chattanoogans because it has a supposedly very haunted room. And uh, the people that ran the Reed House for years and years didn't really like to lean into that part of the history. It wasn't like a stop on Chattanooga ghost tours. It wasn't something that they like made widely known. But for years and years, I've kind of gently just uh, like Andy Dufresne and Shawshank uh, Redemption with that little rock hammer just clawed away at the wall. And lo and behold, a couple of years ago, they got new management. And when the new management came in, not only did they do the most incredible renovation of this historic space, they suddenly had a page on their website devoted to the haunted room, room 311, and its ghost, Annalisa. And they started to lean into that haunted history and, and furthermore, have a sense of humor about it. And if you know anything about our festival, you'll know that me especially, I am a sucker for a good ghost story. And so once it worked out to have it in the Reed House, it was like, oh my God, uh, what? How, how can we theme this in so many different ways? And so that goes into both the film programming. You're going to see a dozen great ghost stories this year from all over the world. Uh, one good scoop for you is there's a film called New Religion that is just, I think, absolutely unmissable. It's a Japanese ghost story. I can't recommend it enough. To give you a scoop that hasn't been announced yet at all, we have uh, something that was not on my bingo card at all for, for 2023, which is Yoga Horror. Uh, we have a terrific yoga ghost story called Mind, Body, Spirit that I am just absolutely in love with. And I, it's just such a great ghost story. And we're doing that both on the ground and there at the Reed House. You'll be, you'll be able to watch it in a in a haunted hotel. But uh, I wanted to keep that haunted theme all the way through the virtual stuff too. And there's even exclusives on both sides of the festival. So it's like this press release that's coming out, we have, for example, the world premiere of a really terrific movie called American Meltdown. Well, American Meltdown is great. It's as good as any movie we're playing, but we're very intentionally premiering it on the virtual side of things because we wanted to create balance there. For, the, for those of you that are joining us virtually, it's not fair for there to be so many great things on the ground and for you guys to all to be left with this this horrible sense of FOMO. Like there had to be balance. And thankfully, we found filmmakers that understood that and that maybe themselves weren't able to attend and now feel like they get to come and actually do their Q&A and, and do it. So I, I do feel like balance between the two halves was an important thing, but also like trying to find ways to further use that Discord server and our virtual festival platform to do even more of the kind of goofy shit uh, that, that we're kind of known for. And I know you've talked to Dave Lawson uh, in the past, and Dave spoke of his desire for there to be a Chattanooga Film Festival kazoo chorus. Well, uh, I say this to you as a gentleman that spent a good part of my afternoon uh, researching bulk kazoo sales. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, I want you to know that I've I, I try to be a smart consumer when I spend any money related to the festival. I did look up kazoo reviews uh, as I was doing this. And finally, we settled uh, We settled for some kazoos that had a bunch of four-star reviews, but only one gentleman was like brave enough to write in and, and express his feelings. And all it said was four and a half stars gets the job done. Uh, so we, uh, <laughs> we went with the gets the job done kazoo so we can make... Dave's dream of, of a, a CFF kazoo chorus, a reality. And I'm sure you'll see some ridiculous footage of that uh, on the virtual side of things. Uh, if only so we can embarrass our, our uh, friends and loved ones with that clip for years and years. But uh, it, it's, that's the kind of thing that I, I pride us on being the sort of festival that would even say, okay, to something like that. Like over the years, like William Castle is, is a figure uh, 
who's meant a lot to me in terms of that he wasn't just this maker of great horror movies. He was also a showman. He, he loved a good gimmick. He loved it when something got to be a little more experiential. And that's why we've done everything from like years ago when we showed Dave's film, The Endless. Uh, we had people convinced that they could see the movie for free if they joined a cult beforehand. And <laughs> we literally printed cult paraphernalia. We had pamphlets. We had a website, our multiverse savior with all the like, tenets of the religion and dave in character as smiling dave from the movie handed out these little communion ascension wafers we'd had a local chef make us that were actually like really delightful lemon cookies uh and we took it so seriously that a number of folks actually walked out of that screening believing that we were really going to indoctrinate them into some dark religion that they had no idea about but what i'm saying is like being willing to like take a gimmick that far is also something that, that I hope we're known for a little bit. And this year it was like, we've, we've gotten some, some great response over the years to a tradition of ours, which is the secret screening. We always like to put something out there every year and give everybody no clue what it is. This year we've pushed that to a very maximalist conclusion. There are literally seven straight nights of secret screenings for those of you on virtual we're calling it the CFF red eye uh, because we both know by that time of the day, your eyes are going to be a little red, perhaps because you're tired, perhaps for other reasons. But it's very much like the last flight out of the CFF airport. And it was a way for us just to like curate a group of things that we know you guys aren't going to be able to see anywhere else and kind of close out every day of the festival with a little treat for everybody, whether they're virtual or in person. That is, And awesome. that's just like <laughs> the, the tip of a very strange iceberg this year indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was thinking too, and obviously, you know, we'll be sharing a link to the website and people can check out all the, you know, all the goodies. Sure. Um, but there's also like panels, interviews, the um, pitch, which I got to see yeah. last year. That was fascinating. If you want to touch on, you know, the extracurriculars, if you will. I'd love to. So I went to film school in Nashville and had a really bad experience in film school. And it wasn't necessarily because of the school itself. I had like a lot of a really pretentious bully filled class of folks that were in my particular class. And it really put a bad taste in my mouth about film school. And what wound up happening was I raised exactly enough money to go make a little documentary of my own, dropped out of school and used that documentary to get my very first job as a film programmer at a, what was then a startup network in Nashville called the documentary channel. And at first, when I came in, I was like the intern, like this crazy guy in our back office, he'll watch literally anything that comes in the door, just shove the tapes into his office and he'll get it done. But before I knew it, we had gone on the air and I was suddenly at 23 years old programming a 24 seven network. But what sucked about it was that I loved what I was putting on, but other than the occasional piece of fan mail, I was doing it in a vacuum. I could not see how my audience was reacting. And with both the Discord now and our in-person audiences, the way that it's allowed me to see you guys' feedback for what works and what doesn't has been an absolute weapon too. And so this is the year I feel like I've been able to take in both the most audience feedback on the way that things might work a little better or be more user-friendly, but also bring in more movies that I think I might have thought they might have been a little too daring. But I even like when I was like, man, I've got something that's wild and I want to make sure I'm handling it responsibly. I could go to that community on our discord and say, all right, who's got a strong stomach and <laughs> could give me an opinion on something. And I got this incredible cross section of folks all from different walks that gave me such incredible notes that it's like 
that discord has even become a, a valuable tool to me as a creator of this festival now. And I, I forgot your original question. I'm so sorry, but I, I feel like <laughs> no, I was trying fine. to It was to actually angle. just, um, and I know we need to wrap up pretty soon, but just beyond oh, us, yeah. beyond our interactions and the camaraderie and all of the, uh, the feedback that you're wow. getting and the films themselves, you also have the other parts of the programming, the interviews, the, right. the pitch um, sure. and all that. Gotcha. So I was just wondering uh, if you could share a little bit yeah. more about that, because I think that's such a interesting part and virtually, you know, being able to watch all of that stuff. Uh, you know, you can go as a fan as deep as you want to, because obviously a lot of fans are also creators too, right? So we're learning along the way and then learning how to maybe pitch next year or something like that. I'm glad you brought it up. And the reason I brought up that long PTSD for me filled tangent about film school is that I wanted there to be not only an element of entertainment to this thing, but an element of film education. But I wanted it to be very different than the film education that I got exposed to in that it was kind of, you know, nebulous. Uh, that, like they didn't give you a practical tool set with which to go forth and actually try to create something or do something. And by not only having the pitch competition, but having somebody like Dave, who himself is already an amazing mentor for so many young filmmakers in the saddle doing that for us, it's the right person you know, earnestly going about that film education. And it's become an annual hit. It's become something that I think we're going to do for the foreseeable future now. And this year, it's really cool. We have a filmmaker named Kristen Noriega, who she was a part of that pitch competition in a previous year. She pitched the project that she went and made that we're now able to see. And bless her heart, obviously, she did a lot of work to get it done, you know, that the pitch competition, she gives a lot of credit for for getting the the you know the seed sown and start to help that idea see the light of day. And we're getting more and more folks like that. And then this year, our friends at Seed and Spark are coming back, and and uh, they're teaching a workshop called Stretch That Buck, which for me, even as a person who puts a film festival together, one of the most difficult aspects of this business is coming up with a budget and and not just budgeting for the things that you know you're going to need, but for the contingencies for the the fires that start that you aren't expecting. And this class gives that information too, but it doesn't in a way that even if you aren't a creator, I can see it being fascinating information for you. The, the, the teacher of the class is so amazing. And then also there's a, there's a live podcast this year called How Not to Make a Movie. And it's, uh, it's, it's hosted by Gil Adler and Alan Katz, who between them, they're two of the, the gentlemen that were behind all of the classic episodes of Tales from the Crypt. But if you start to look in their you know, individual filmographies, they've, they've done dozens of incredible genre projects on television. And, you know, uh, Gil Adler was worked with, you know, William Castle's estate and created Dark Castle Entertainment. And I, I for one, am a big fan of the, the remakes of everything from 13 Ghosts to House on Haunted Hill that they really made with a lot of love. And these guys almost had their lives ruined by being forced to make the film Bordello of Blood. They uh, <laughs> they had made a Tales from the Crypt movie called Demon Knight that was a huge hit with fans. Critics liked it. It did well at the box office, well enough that it seemed like, just like James Bond, Tales from the Crypt and the Crypt Keeper were going to get to be this viable film franchise. Well, Universal Studios, to try to keep Robert Zemeckis the hell away from DreamWorks when it began, and they were terrified he was going to defect and go with his buddy Steven Spielberg, uh, they offered him a million dollars to buy a film called Bordello of Blood, his student screenplay from when he was at USD. 
it very much reads like a student screenplay. And rather than let Gil and Al make Dead Easy, their intended New Orleans voodoo set follow-up to Demon Knight, they were forced by a studio to make Bordello. And it pretty much ruined their friendship and their Mm. careers for almost 25 years. Well, one of the other things I'm excited about this year is they're going to watch Bordello of Blood with our audience uh, virtually uh, for the first time in 25 years this year. And we're calling it cinema therapy. It's given these guys a chance to to exercise all the demons, but they're doing it in conjunction with their podcast, which is called How Not to Make a Movie. And to me, while it's filled with wildly entertaining and often lurid Hollywood stories, there's also a lot of great information about why it can be just as important to be an independent creator, why you know your values aren't necessarily something that you have to concede on if you're making your own project. And so to me, they teach you as much about the importance of independent filmmaking as they do offer a few genuinely terrifying and often Stallone-filled uh, uh, cautionary tales from from the studio system. So it's like, I feel like it. it's like, what, edutainment? It works for, for both. Absolutely. And that's the kind of stuff, <laughs> as, as a film fan and, and an occasional filmmaker myself, it's like, these are the things that I... I've really taken a lot of joy in watching how our audience responds to them. So it's like, I'm glad to hear you bring up the pitch competition. I love Dave dearly. And what he's brought to the festival with that is more interactivity and and more understanding uh, that we're here to help filmmakers on every step of their journey not just when they have a shiny new world premiere for us. That's a perfect way for us to cut it off because I actually have to cut things off right now. I'll share all the uh, links to how people can get tickets and join the party. Thank you so much for joining me, Chris. And I would love to do this again sometime. Hey, anytime you let me know. And and also, obviously, this, this goes for Bex too, but any guests this year that are coming along that you'd like to speak to, there's some great folks that I think you would really get a kick out of. Alan Gill alone, the Tales from the Crypt guys I mentioned, that is an interview you need to have. There is a million great stories. I've seen Bordello of Blood a bunch of times too. Yeah, same. I I, I saw it in Tin Cup theatrically the same day and I was like, this was a weird day. Uh, But uh, so thanks a lot, Heidi. I know you got to run, but I really appreciate your Thanks. It's been a blast. Oh my gosh. I could have kept talking with Chris forever, but I had a bit of a tight timeline Um, in our interview today. But if you go to chatfilmfest.org, that is where you can see all the programming and figure out how you can get your badge and join in the fun virtually or in person in Chattanooga. This has been Heidi Bennett, Vibrant Visionaries, and ciao for now. (laughs) 